What's going on, everybody? This is Julian Peters back with Mentality Podcast. For those watching, hi. For those listening, welcome back to my voice. Uh, today, I'm excited. I have Bailey Martindale uh, here to speak. How's it going, Bailey? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. So in case you guys get confused, I will refer to Bailey as Bailey Goat uh, <laughs> most of this conversation. Um, but anyway, moving forward. So Bailey, let's talk about your background a little bit, school, education, kind of what you got going. Okay, cool. Um, so like you, I'm from Oklahoma. Um, grew up there most of my life and then lived there until I was about 25. Moved to Salt Lake City, spent about two years there, started my business there, um, then moved to Dallas for two years, and now I'm in Florida. Um, I have an undergrad in strategic communication with an emphasis in public relations, and then I have a master's in administrative leadership. Um, I have like a blog and influence business, and then I have a brand strategy and digital marketing company as well. And I'm in the process of launching a supplement company with a good friend of mine. So, Oh, really? What kind of supplements? Um, so I have an autoimmune disease and I take a lot of supplements because I try to treat it holistically. Um, and my friend was like, why don't we just start your own line rather than you buying from other people? So it's a lot of like just natural like zinc, um, probiotics, collagen, things like that. Yeah, let me know. I will definitely support. A good probiotic is great I for agree. me. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. So um, you said you went to school for, what was it? My undergrad is in strategic communication with an emphasis in public relations. And then my master's is in administrative leadership. Got you. So did you always know that kind of marketing, brand communication was something that you wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, actually, um, the direction I initially started with was more public relations. I had an aunt that worked in politics. And so... I thought I wanted to go that route, and then I did a stint um, as in broadcast journalism, and I kind of thought I wanted to go that route. Quickly realized I did not want to work in broadcast journalism, and so I shifted into PR and marketing. Um, when I moved to Salt Lake City, I actually took a sales role with a tech company, and then from there got a director of sales and marketing role with an outsourcing services company. I was there for just a little bit and then I started my company, so. Okay, good deal, good deal. So uh, public relations, one of the things I've always admired about you is your ability to network and your ability to present. I think you always keep a good professional presentation. I know we've had conversation about that several times. Um, so where did you, where did you find that to be important? That's really sweet, I appreciate that. Um, so a little bit about my background. Um, my parents had me when they were 16 and 17. Uh, I grew up in a lot of chaos and dysfunction. Um, I was really fortunate to have some families and a few really influential people expose me to a different way of life. Um, I'm the first person in my dad's family to go to school or to get a college degree. Um, my mom's a police officer in the military and she's worked really hard, but I growing up was in a lower income area. I was exposed to a lot of drugs, a lot of poverty, a lot of all that. And at some point through the other connections, I mean, my grandma was a big influence. Her ex-husband was a big influence. And then a lot of families that took care of me over the years exposed me to a different quality or part of life. And all I knew is that I didn't want to repeat the cycles that I grew up in. 
I knew that I had a natural ability to connect with people. And I knew that if I presented myself well, people took me like more seriously. And so I quickly just started putting those pieces together and realized I was going to have to like really hone in on those skills if I wanted to succeed. And so that's what I did. Gotcha. So, and shout out to Mama Martindale. She watches this. Thank you for your service. We appreciate you. That's very sweet. Thank you. Um, do you remember the first time we met? Because I do 100%. I was thinking about that and I can't remember. I remember. So the first time we met, it was brief. It was quick, but you came to a party that my homeboy Tyler King threw. Okay. This might have been like 2009, 2000. This is before we had class together at TCC. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I just remember it was vague. It was quick and it was fast. I think you showed up and left within like five minutes too. It's hilarious. I remember okay, that. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I, have, I have no idea why I remember that. But yeah. So uh, starting your own business, what was that like? I know that's difficult, the ins and outs. And you're a woman on top of that. So, you know, what is that experience? Well, and I was living in Salt Lake City at the time. And I don't know how much you know about Salt Lake, but it's like 60% Mormon. Right. So in the Mormon religion, it's like a sin for women to work outside the home. So I was starting my business there. I was also working there as like a business executive before I started my business. And I was in essentially a male dominated world. Like I think I worked with a handful of women at the tech company and then at the outsourcing services company, I mean, the only women that really worked there, there was maybe a handful there. Um, starting my company was kind of, I was in a, between a rock and a hard place. Um, so I had started taking on clients on the side because I knew I was good at branding and advertising and I had some friends that had asked me for help. And so I was still working full time, but the company I was working for was bought by a gentleman from India. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with that culture, but when he moved here, uh, they don't respect women either. They don't like to have you in an executive function. I mean, he wouldn't look me in the eye in meetings. He stripped out my whole team, my whole budget. He was like bringing people in for three months at a time from India, wouldn't let me hire anyone. And so I felt like I was just like beating my head against a wall. And my friend who I was doing a lot of business with for his branding and marketing he was like, look, you're really good at this. You have a knack for strategy. Why don't you just launch your own company? And I was so miserable with what I was doing. And I was so, I, but I think that like helped me get rid of the fear a little bit because I was like, okay, I've got to make a change and I don't have many options. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, it's a roller coaster for sure. Uh, lots of learning moments. I feel like I still have learning moments and I'm, I'm in like what, year six now? Um, but thankfully I've seen a lot of progress, uh, made a lot of strides. So that's good. And you also like through your company, you outsource kind of as well too, right? Like you have people that do design work and things like that. Right. So for me, it makes more sense to outsource rather than hire employees because you don't have to pay a lot of the tax issues. And what I found is a lot of creatives don't want a nine to five job. They'd rather just be able to pick up like projects. And so it's just worked out a lot easier for me. Um, it was going really well. When COVID hit last year, the first thing people pull when they're scared is marketing dollars. And so I went from doing really well, um, having a ton of success to every single one of my marketing contracts pulled because they didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what was going to happen either. So I went for almost three months with $0 in income. 
And I'm panicking because I'm living in Dallas and like an expensive high rise apartment. I've got expenses that I'm paying for my business, for my personal, you know, all these things. And I started actually looking at jobs because I was like, I might have to like go back to work for someone. Um, And something I learned during that process is like, once you've become an entrepreneur, people don't like to hire you into a company setting because they want you to go through like that cookie cutter chain. And I wasn't that. Um, Thankfully, as uh, like three months into COVID, people started realizing that because of COVID, if they didn't have a strong online presence, if they didn't have social media, if they didn't have some sort of lead generation, their businesses were going to plummet too. So I got most of my clients back that were already clients, at least the ones that um, were able to pull through. And then I got a huge increase in other clients, which was great. So now like everything's going well, I'm actually having some of the best months I've had ever in my business now, thanks to probably some of the consequences of COVID. For but sure. It was very scary. Yeah, I think I've, I've spoken to quite a few people who have dealt with the up and down of COVID, especially yeah. like even personal training, like my friend, Mike, you know, Mike, yeah. Mike saw his numbers increase okay. of COVID because people had a lot more time on their hands. And so they were looking to get in shape or diet and things like that from home. And then I've seen the reverse effect of some people who had some dead periods. And then, yeah. like you said, towards the end, it started to go back up. Um, mm-hmm. So when you were you prepared for something like COVID? Is that something as a business owner that you prepare for? Um, I would say I think you should prepare for something like COVID. I was not prepared for something like COVID. Um, it was a really big learning lesson for me. So now moving forward, you would say life lesson is, you know, if this ever happens again, you'll be ready to go. Yes. Okay. Uh, got you. I mean, hopefully we don't have another pandemic in our lifetime, but I guess if we do. <laughs> <laughs> right. I hope not. I hope not. But okay. So I really want to talk about the marketing and the branding um, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people, especially business owners now don't really understand the importance of it. Having a website, having a social media presence. Which, which in this time and day is baffling that you don't understand how important that is. But what is, you don't have to give us the full in and outs, but when you are doing a strategy for a business, what, you know, how are you approaching that? What are some of the details that you look at? And then how do you expand those presence? Sure. So one thing that I realized really early on is that businesses or people in general think that a brand is a logo. That's all they think a brand is or maybe a website, a website and logo. Um, That's not what a brand is. A brand is like the set of expectations, experiences, every interaction that a person has with a company. Um, You want to create a strong voice. There needs to be a specific personality for that brand. Um, And so what I see a lot of is both with existing companies or with new companies, you see that they have no idea what their brand direction is. They think their service is for every single person. They have no niche focus and they don't really know how to explain who or what their company is and what they do. And so I go in and I have a branded process I put my clients through and it helps really pull out like the goals, the personality, the values, the mission, um, what a lot of those motivating factors are And it also helps figure out, okay, who is our ideal target customer and what solution do we give them 
And how do we get in front of them in a way that makes a difference and they connect with this brand? We want them to feel some sort of connection. Uh, the best part of branding or marketing or successful branding or marketing is storytelling. So you have to figure out how to tell your brand's story. And that includes things like advertising, marketing, social media, the website, you know, all these different pieces. But so many people just think brand, oh, we just need a logo on a website. I'm like, huh, no. <laughs> no, most definitely. So as far as I want to ask this, social media, like, the presence of social media, the ads, those things, do those things really work? Oh, definitely. You have to do them correctly. Um, another thing I see a lot of small business owners do is if you log into your business Facebook page, you see an area that says ads and you can run ads through that portion. However, that is not the same as a Facebook ads manager. You can build a much more robust ad campaign in the back end of Facebook Ads Manager. You can get really targeted. You can do lead gen campaigns. You can do brand awareness campaigns. I mean, there's so many things you can do. What a lot of small business owners do is they go into that Facebook page, they see that ad center, and they think, oh, I'm running ads. And then they don't understand why it's not working. They're dumping money at it, and it's not converting. There's a lot of specifics that go into that that make it successful. Um, for example, I have a big credit repair company. He does like, or client, he does credit repair, debt settlement, um, things like that, business financing. And we ran an ad campaign for 45 days and got him 100 leads. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so, but, go ahead. You have to figure out some ad campaigns involve some testing. So you have to figure out especially if your brand doesn't really know who their target market is or doesn't know exactly what the messaging needs to be, you have to do a lot of trial and error. Um, you're doing a lot of A-B tests. You're trying different copy. You're trying different visuals. You're trying different targeting. Um, but once you have it nailed in, it can be really successful. For sure. So the marketing aspect of companies and life is like super interesting to me. I actually got my undergrad in marketing. Um, um and I haven't used it since, <laughs> but, but, um, but as far as like demographic, the people you're trying to attract or the people you're trying to target, are you guys making specific ads like towards that demographic and also timing? Because I know what people, a lot of people talk about like the algorithm, mm -hmm. uh, the different time zones and things. Is all that key to putting out the right ads or is that something you don't really pay attention to? Um, when it comes to algorithm, there are some things that involve ads. Algorithm is a lot more important for organic posting. So okay. just um, regular posting to your social media feeds. I mean, Instagram, for example, um, to get higher weight in the algorithm right now, you need to be utilizing a lot of stories. Um, and then within stories, you need to be utilizing a lot of their functions. So Instagram, basically like pays, not pays you, but they like applaud you the more features of their platform that you use. So in your story function, you want to use polls, you want to use questions, you want to use music, you want to do all of those things. Um, right now, Instagram is also seeing a wave of the, the rates of engagement have different weights. So like a save post right now gets you a higher weight in the algorithm. Um, sending a post to someone gets a higher weight in the algorithm. Just liking it and commenting on it isn't the same as it used to be. That used to be kind of like the powerhouse. You wanted more comments. Um, likes are kind of 
the least important thing right now out of those options. That's interesting. I, you're breaking this down. <laughs> I have no clue that. So basically, Instagram is just encouraging you to use their app in order yes. to be able to get away. That's that's I, I know a lot of people don't know that for sure. Well, and they're competing too. Like Reels is really big right now. They want you to spend time using Reels because they're trying to compete with TikTok. Mm -hmm. And so like, and another little secret is that like, let's say you make a TikTok video and you want to upload it as a Reel on Instagram. You don't want to upload it to your Reels page with that TikTok watermark or it'll hurt you. You want to make two separate videos, upload one to TikTok and then upload one to Instagram Reels. That's interesting. So actually my mom is a really big clubhouse user. Um, and she said that I guess at one point Zuckerberg actually got on club uh, clubhouse and like shut it down like a week or two ago because everybody and their mom was like <laughs> trying to get in there to listen. But one of the conversations they had was about the reels and how people were upset. The reels are only 15 seconds mm -hmm. and TikToks were a minute and literally the next day, reels turn into a minute long thing that you could do which i also find is weird because does zuckerberg have stock in tiktok um i don't know about tiktok i mean facebook owns instagram now so obviously that's really important to him but i'm not really sure about if zuck has TikTok. like how are you able to counter you know what i mean like upload on tiktok and instagram there has to be some type of mesh there right well, i could be wrong like that's why i'm asking I think, I mean, on TikTok, you can share to most platforms. Um, I think nowadays, any good social or tech platform has to have the capability to link. And so I think that's just like an integral part, regardless of whether Zuck's embedded in that or not. Okay. Um, because if you don't have that functionality, you're losing out on a lot of brand awareness. So would you say that like those apps are paying for that part or is it just something that kind of is used? Oh, I'm, I'm sure they are. Cause like, even for me, so I use tools for my clients that will connect to Instagram and I can plan out, let's say 30 days worth of content and it'll just naturally post for me. I set the times and whatever. Um, but I knew it, I know it took a while for those platforms to integrate with like Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn to be able to just automatically post um so i know there is a lot of back-end work and hoops they have to jump through okay and then as far as your company are you doing like the organic posts for these companies as well is that things that you do also sometimes um it depends on my client it depends on what their business goals are um i won't just do social posting like organic posting for clients it's just not worth my time but if i have a full retainer client and I'm running all their marketing and advertising, um, then we handle a lot of their organic social content as well. Right, so and then how many, I don't know if you can disclose this, but how many people do you work with? Um, I have a large client base across the nation and one organization in South Africa, so. I believe she's trying to let y'all know she is the shiznit, okay? <laughs> I just wanted to know that. Um, so, before we get into like other subjects, because I really want to talk to you about other things, what is your plans with, you know, is branded communication, correct? Mm -hmm. so what's your plans with that? What's the growth process? What are you thinking? You know, I don't know if that's something to ask, but five years from now, like, what do you see? Um, my goals right now that I've been working on. So when it comes to branding, a brand strategy and really help 
helping to create a strong brand is a very time intensive process. There's only one of me. And that's what I say my superpower is, is brand strategy. So my goal is to increase like my ad campaign clients and be able to just have a commission salesperson who's just selling that. And then I have a team that's running those ad campaigns. And then I can focus on taking 10 to 12 big brand clients a year. That's where, and ideally there's also like a funnel in my business. So if I can come in and I can help you either brand a new business or rebrand a business, I can help you develop your ad strategy, your marketing strategy, all of those pieces. And so ultimately I would be able to build this badass brand and then push them into these other pieces, whether it's the organic um, or the ad campaigns. Perfect. Okay. So leading into the next topic, I want to ask this first. Um, I want to ask this the correct way because I don't want to be offensive, but being a woman in the type of position you are setting up these business meetings, you're dealing with males. Uh, you're a beautiful woman. We can say that. So advantage, disadvantage wise, where do you see, you know, being a woman in corporate America and in this type of environment? What are some of the advantages? What are some of the disadvantages? Um, it's definitely been difficult. And I mean, especially when you think like I started my business when I was 26. So, and I have a little bit of a baby face. So I probably look a little younger sometimes than I am. So going into, especially when I was in Utah, going into an executive office, meeting with a bunch of old white guys, they didn't take me seriously. And I know they didn't. Um, and it was very frustrating at first because they would question my authority or they would question my knowledge. Thankfully, I've found kind of a way to go in and show them where their pain points are that they don't even realize that they have pain points. And then I show them how I can provide a solution. And that enables me to automatically get some authority, get some respect, and they'll listen to me a little more. There's also this like double-edged sword of if you're a semi-attractive female, you want to kind of, this is going to sound terrible, there's elements of using whatever benefits you have to get in the door. Um, maybe you have a great smile and you're really charming or maybe, you know, whatever that is to get in the door, but you have to be able to also have a brain to further that conversation and get it going. The issue sometimes with females, especially dealing with a lot of gross men is that they see you as a pretty female and they'll either waste your time, lead you on or whatever, just to spend time with you, whether it's in an office setting or otherwise. Um, there's a lot of me having to set hard boundaries. Uh, you can't talk to me that way. You can't touch me. You can't, I mean, you would think these are things that grown men would know, but I mean, they do know them. I think they just choose to ignore them. Uh, but it can make things a little complicated. For sure. And I, I can only imagine. Um, so that leads me into the next thing. When I go to your Instagram, I checked your bio. One of the things it says on there is that I am fiercely feminine. No. What does that mean to Bailey Martindale? So growing up, um, I've always been pretty girly. I mean, I can get dirty and do crazy stuff too, but like I'm a pretty girly person. Um, my mom is the opposite of me. She is in the military and a cop. I mean, most of my life I referred to her as G.I. Jane Robocop, which is not the nicest term, but oh well. <laughs> um, she's very masculine. And I say that 
because she's also in very masculine fields and she kind of has to be in a lot of ways. And I think for me growing up, I saw, or I thought that if I wanted to be a leader and find success, that meant I had to be masculine. And so for a really long time, I like was really hard charging. I was not super approachable because I thought that's what I needed to do in my master's program. So administrative leadership looks at culture. It looks at gender bias. It looks at racial bias. It looks at um, the effect of leadership and different kinds of leaders, all these things. And so when I was going through my master's program, I started learning one, you've got the, whether it's subconscious or conscious bias of gender at play in most work settings. And so if a woman acts just like a successful male leader, she's considered a bitch, she's abrasive, she's aggressive, she's all these things. But if she's too warm and gentle and embodies those typical female qualities, she's seen as weak, she's not strong enough to lead the charge, you know, there's all these things. So what I finally kind of, I found my balance and it was that I can be strong and kind and empathetic, but I can also be a leader and I can be aggressive when I need to be. Um, but I can do all of that while exuding my feminine qualities. Um, I don't have to look like a man. I don't have to act like a man. I don't have to do any of those things. And honestly, I think there are great benefits in both sexes. And I think women that actually can fully embrace their femininity can tap into things that men have no way of doing. Um, and I think we have some really great advantages in that. But the current workforce, there's still a lot of room to go until I feel like there's a really good balance. But that's what it means to me. Okay, agree. And I like that. So one of the things I noticed, I remember in our marketing, this seems like forever ago, I'm old, but um, execs, higher ups, there's a lot more women in those positions than on like the surface level or whatever. Have you noticed that? And what do you think is the cause behind that? Is it because like you said, you guys were better leaders, more rational. I know one of the things I hate the most, and you see me talk about this is the whole like women are emotional thing. Like I think that's crap because men are way more emotional. It's just people forget that like anger is an emotion. Like we get mad at the drop of a hat. But people associate emotions with crying, and I'm like, it's not. So do you think the reason for, you know, when you look higher up in corporate companies, there are some more women that are seeming to rise in that area? Is it because of that, as far as you guys are just leading better, you're starting to understand how fiercely feminine you are? Or, you know, what do you think is behind that? One, I think it's really refreshing to hear you acknowledge the emotional aspect of men, too. That's great. I think more men need to talk about that. Um, I think a lot of companies are starting to realize the benefits that come with femininity and being a leader. Um, there's a little more empathy in women. Women tend to be a lot more observant. Um, women don't typically lead from a response of anger or like retaliation or any of these things. So I think sometimes they make really good leaders. I remember... I was working as a consultant around the first time, around when I started my company. Um, and the CEO that hired me, he told me, he said, I will almost always hire women because you guys are like, especially in marketing, he's like, you guys kill it. He's like, you're just observant. You have really good thought process. Um, and I think he thinks the same thing in like executive functions as well. 
but it was, he was one of the first people I ever heard say that. Um, so it kind of like corroborated a lot of the evidence and things that I'd read and studied. I, I do think women have a natural leadership ability. We just weren't always given the opportunity to do so. I think now, obviously, things are shifting um, with the rise of feminism. And I'm not one to say that, like, only women should be in charge or only women can do something. Um, but I do think that it's really important that we acknowledge that skill set that women have. And I do think we're seeing it. I mean, you've got Brene Brown is doing a ton of leadership development, especially with big companies who are traditionally male driven. And she's showing them like what opportunities they have to actually see how powerful females are or even other males, but teaching um, mm, vulnerability and things. I think traditionally women have been more vulnerable and that makes them good leaders sometimes. Um, to, it, you have to be guarded about some things, but so I think she's helping pave the way for that too. Cool. And so, um, who are some of your, this is a random one, so be ready. Some of your, like, as far as female leaders, who are some of the people that you looked up to or you get inspiration from? Oh, there's so many. Um, I, Oprah is a really big one for me. She started obviously in broadcast journalism. She was also the child of a 16 year old parent. She went through a lot of crap. Um, and she was one of the first women, especially black women to get out there and like change the course of her life and really take ownership over it. And I mean, she's probably the best human interest interviewer we've ever seen. I think her knack at getting in there and telling a story, which is what I'm a storyteller, so that resonates with me. Um, it's really powerful. So she's definitely one. Um, Brene Brown, again, is another great one. Um, I think I probably also look to people, this is going to sound crazy, but like Marilyn Monroe, as much as she's seen for some negative aspects, she embraced her femininity. She embraced who she was. Um, she made something of herself. She was so, she had a lot of instability, but I still really think she had a lot of great qualities. Um, there's so many women that inspire me. Like that list is probably so long. It's crazy, but, um, I appreciate how, especially Oprah really gets in there and she tries to help you see a lesson from somebody. I listen to like all of her master classes. I listen to all our super soul Sundays. Um, her biggest thing seems to be, okay, what can we learn from this person? What can we learn from this experience? even if they're different than us. Um, I'm sure you've seen, like she has a really famous interview around the time she started her actual show. She had to interview members of the KKK and she's having to sit on a stage as a black woman interviewing these people and they're making comments to each other in the audience. They're making her uncomfortable. And she's like, why am I telling this story? Um, then years later, she does another story with one of those same people and he's no longer an active Klansman or Aryan Brotherhood or whatever. Um, but she talks about how important it was to showcase the negative aspect of that and how it impacted other people. And something that I'm really passionate about is what can we learn from this person? Maybe they're polar opposite from us, different race, different gender, different whatever it looks like, lifestyles, religion. I think we can all learn something from each other. And I think when we do that, we open up, we're more receptive, we're less polarized. And I think that's how we move forward to a better 
world, honestly. Um, and she's phenomenal at doing that. Yeah, I agree. I'm actually, I'm kind of nervous and excited at the same time. I'm getting ready to start a segment where I start talking to cops and law enforcement. I like it. Um, and that's going to be an interesting an interesting one. But I, like you said, I just think communication is needed. Why not start with me, even if it's on a lower level? Why not start with me? Um, so my next question. Well, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, and police officers, I mean, I think I have an interesting view because I grew up with my mom as a cop. Mm-hmm. And growing up in Oklahoma, in a very conservative state, I remember the first time I really saw the BLM movement happening and all the conversations I'm hearing around me, especially from other cops, are that's anti-cop. And so at first, that's what I thought it was. I was young. I didn't really know. And I was taught that, no, like, you just have to always support blind allegiance to the police department, blah, blah, blah. Then when I went through my master's program, a lot of my cohorts were in the military and police officers. They were, like, higher up because it's uh, the master's in administrative leadership is about um, culture change. It's about change management. It's about positive leadership. And so we did a lot of case studies on racial bias. And, I mean, we took a whole section of coursework in racial bias. And it was interesting because they went into that thinking there's no bias at all. I went into it thinking probably a lot different than I think now. Um, When our cohort ended and we graduated, a lot of them actually said, you know what, I can see where there's instances where I probably was biased and I probably made poor decisions because of it. I mean, I recently, last year, I was marching in Dallas after the George, George Floyd murder. I was I actually drove down to Houston and marched with 60,000 people with his family. Um, And it's a weird situation to be in because I have people messaging me all the time that are like, how can you possibly do that when your mom's a cop and you grew up as part of the cop community? And I'm like, something that I think is important is that blind allegiance is dangerous. And I think growing up alongside policing, I can say, I think that they, they have a really hard job. Watching my mom run into danger was always very scary, but I can also see very frequently where there's a lot of bias. Um, I wouldn't call my mom racist. Um, I would call a lot of police I know racist, but I wouldn't call my mom that. Um, but I do see where bias influences really quick decision-making. Um, another point about female leaders, if you've ever looked at the statistics, most Police shootings do not involve women, female cops. Uh, The number of incidents of female cops killing or using um, excessive force is actually pretty low. And I think that's where we have like a really huge opportunity to improve policing because they tend to take a moment to try and be more empathetic, to try and understand, to try and de-escalate a situation. Um, I think policing has a lot of room to grow. I think there are a lot of issues. Um, and I think I have a, a unique view because I've grown up around it. I've seen it from a very close view. Um, I think they need to be paid more. They need to be better educated. I mean, some of these police, especially in Oklahoma, you've got some of these small towns that these guys have no college degree. They're going through like a brief training window and then they're pushed out to use force on whoever they want. That's scary. Um, I don't think that's appropriate. So I think it's really important to see that while you can appreciate some of the elements of something, you can also call out 
the elements of something. And so I think that's great that you're going to have those conversations because it'll give you an opportunity to do that. For sure. And, and I can truly say, y'all, if you have uh, seen the meme of like the two girls fighting and the black guys just on the side, like watching, um, and it says like my white friends on Facebook, racism, and then me, that's Bailey. Uh, she is definitely <laughs> extremely proactive in voicing. Um, but like you said, with reason, it's not just a blind allegiance either way, because I can say me being a black man in America, um, I don't think every way is correct that it's complained about on either side. Um, but I do think mm -hmm. that there is a blind allegiance to the police force, that they're going to protect each other no matter what. And when something's blatantly wrong, either they turn their head or they're just like, no, I'm on, I'm on the cop side. And that's a huge issue for me. Um, and we see it all the time. So I completely agree. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, but I wanted to ask you a very interesting question that I'm springing on you again. Do you yeah. think being fiercely feminine is intimidating to men? Oh, 100%. Um, definitely, in some ways. But I also think that it's misunderstood. I Just like I think a lot of the feminism movement is misunderstood. And granted, I think just like anything in life, there are extremes of that movement too. Um, I'm very comfortable with letting a man lead, especially in my personal life, if I trust that he's going to make good decisions. I have to have that trust in him and I have to know that he has like our best interest at heart, but I'm not out here saying that like I need to be in charge. Um, I think I have strengths that can complement someone, but it is difficult because I think a lot of men probably see that and they're like, oh God, I mean, I've been told that. Um, I'm very opinionated. I'm very outspoken. Uh, so I know that that can cause some issues. Yeah, I would, um, it can, but I think that, like, it's still a balance either way, and a lot of guys got to understand that. Uh, my wife, I would argue, is fiercely feminine to the utmost yeah. degree, um, and at times it does cause me to step back a little bit, but then I also have to realize, I tell people this all the time, like, we're still fighting racism, but, like, right after that, women's inequality has to be addressed. Um, so I do think that there is a, you know, if there is a chip on the shoulder, it should be there. And I don't think that that's intimidating. I think that's just, I mean, if you're not ready for that as a man, just say that and move on. You don't have to be like, oh, you're too tough or you're too this. Just you're not that. You're not my type in that situation and move on. There's no need to degrade anymore right? because she's not your type. And a lot of men do that. And I find that to be weak, clownish, I guess is the word I would use. I, um, yeah, I've ran into that a few times. I, and what's frustrating is you see a lot of men who will say things like, oh, I want an alpha female. I want a strong female. I want to see her lead. I was recently dating someone who he's a very dominant man. Um, and he, all the qualities he said that he liked about me or loved about me at first, he then was like, anytime I disagreed with him or anytime I tried to express a feeling that wasn't in line with what he thought, he expected me to just be subservient and like bow down and say, yes, sir. That's never going to be me. Um, I can meet in the middle and I think that's healthy. I think I can say, okay, I hear you, you hear me and we can find some common ground. Um, but a lot of men, they think that they want a really tough female. And I think in actuality, they want someone that's just going to kind of fall in line. 
Right. And me and Belly actually had a conversation probably like was a couple weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, about submissive and the submissive woman and what that looks like. And I've always argued, well, I haven't always argued because I was, again, we can go into the blind allegiance or just blind in the fact that I thought that, you know, a submissive woman is to listen to her husband to do all those things and not realizing that I think in a marriage, even biblically, both sides are supposed to be submissive to each other. Right. Uh, but a lot of people don't highlight that. They just mm -hmm. think, especially in the, it's weird that we're still in this era and we're still like, we're still fighting against these undertones and stereotypes that were like in the twenties, which yeah. is like the woman supposed to be at home cooking, cleaning, washing dishes and listening to every word the man says. And the man like, you know, supposed to take care of business. Even like I've questioned provider, like mm -hmm. that means so many different things. If you look at it, if I got a woman, Bailey, who has her own business is making her home money. Like she might not be looking for me to provide money and make sure that he doesn't work, but she could be looking for me to provide security, uh, you know, love, all those things. And most men don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. So we've relied on providing financially, which is yeah. why you'll see women who don't work or whatever. And they're miserable. And it's because their man goes to work, makes money, comes home and goes to sleep. He's yeah. not paying attention to her. So, yeah, I agree. I think I personally, being married, having the woman that I have, I've watched her grow tremendously through this program. And it's probably one of the most sexiest things in the world to me to see like a woman set a goal that I want to be the valedictorian of this class and she's done it 4.0. But I've also seen what it takes the 60 hours a week of studying the stress and me having to put me on the back burner a little bit and realize that she's chasing something. But as a man, it takes a lot of being a man to be able to accept that my wife has a goal right now that she's trying to reach. And a lot of men, along with being emotional, can be very insecure. Oh, 100%. And that's where I, I think we're, <laughs> we're finding a lot of, like I said, we agree on a lot of stuff, and then we disagree on some things. But in that sense, I agree because... I'm raised in a single parent home. My mom was mom, dad, grandpa, uncle. Like she was all that. How could she not be fierce? What choice did she have to raise a, a young boy into a man the best that she could? And it's like a man will say he wants, like you said, wants all that. And then when it hits him in the face, he's like, oh, never mind. He's like, that, that takes a lot. Right. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I will say, yeah, your wife's a beast. Um, it's really hard to get through chiropractic school at all. And then moving across the country and doing it and seeking out to be valedictorian and then wanting to pursue her goals of like starting her own chiropractic and everything else. I think, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. So when you, when you're thinking about, you know, you mentioned a little bit, but just like the, the outlook of a woman, um, what do you think helps tear down some of these walls? How do, is what you're doing you think enough? Or is there some things that I would like to say, for instance, Kamala taking that position that she did, seeing the little girls that are watching TV, you know, and seeing her, you know, put her hand on the Bible and accept that position is huge mm -hmm. um, because it gives a little girl hope. Just like even for me, seeing Obama in office, that gives a little black kid hope. Like now we're seeing that. So what are what are some ways you think that we can get in front of these little girls 
and show them that there is a different way and show them that we can be successful as women and still be fiercely feminine. Right. Um, I will say the Kamala thing. So I'm not a huge, I'm not necessarily a huge Biden ticket supporter. I do think he was definitely a better choice than our alternative. Same. Um, but I will say I was very emotional watching her swearing in. I was very emotional um, watching the piece before that when they did, when they first got elected that night. Um, after only seeing old white men in that position throughout the history of time or throughout the history of the US and then seeing a woman, especially a minority, um, a woman of color, that was just like, I can't believe we just did this. Uh, I definitely cried. Uh, it was a very powerful moment. And I think, like you said, that does have a huge impact on representation matters. And I think we need to be able to see those things. And honestly, I think, more so than just getting women in front of these girls and setting examples, I think it's men like you having these conversations and creating that dialogue on both sides. Because until men are involved in that too, nothing's going to change. Um, and we're seeing a lot of that. We see a lot of conversations about like toxic ma masculinity. We see a lot of conversations about like understanding emotions. I mean, you've talked about this online, but um, both... Well, so I did a segment with some therapists in Dallas. And obviously, if you grow up religious, you're taught never to like speak about your problems. You keep it in the family, you pray about it, you whatever. They don't teach you to go to therapy about it. When you add on top of that, uh, families of color, especially black families, they've traditionally been taught that like you don't go to therapy, you don't ask for help, it's weakness, it's all these things. And so I think we're starting to see, you know, you've talked about it even as a black man, like it's okay to seek therapy. All you're trying to do is improve and get better and learn. Um, and I think once we really see a spike in that mentality, I think we're going to see a huge growth on both sides. Agree. I even like, I watched the, it's funny because you can get on TikTok and learn so much. <laughs> like and you wouldn't think that, but I'm watching, I forgot the guy's name, but he's talking to a group of men about marriage. And he talked about how him and his wife have been married almost, I want to say 10 or 12 years, and they still go to counseling. Mm -hmm. um, and he was like, in his opinion, like he worked to get her. The relationship was work. The marriage is work. He was like, but what craft, he's speaking to a lot of athletes, do we have where we stop working to perfect mm -hmm. our craft? He was like, it's the same thing with marriage. You have to be continuing to work. There's no perfect marriage. He's like, so we're going to continue to do this to keep perfecting what we have, to keep working on this. I was like, dude, that is, um, I've never heard that before, but that is so true. Yeah. That's I mean, true. you have to think about it. Even if you're a doctor or a real estate agent or even me in marketing, I have to continually improve what I do. I have to learn more. I have to seek new resources. I have to find more mentors, whatever that looks like, to always be improving and anytime whether it's a relationship or a job or anything that you stop that i do think it becomes stagnant so yeah. i love that for sure so with the next with the next topic like i mean we've kind of hit these points already uh but um as far as i know you brought up the church and me and you have completely opposite views on that matter um but you started in church and then through that you're like no nah, this ain't for me religion things like that so to speak and it's crazy because although i am a christian i do believe in god we agree on a lot we do 
we agree on a ton. We have some disagreements, but there's a lot that I'm like, yeah, you're right. And one of the things I wanted to talk about was sex. Mm-hmm. Because it's, I wouldn't say it's condemned in church, but it's like, especially in marriages, it's just like something that you don't address if you have an issue. Um, which goes back to counseling, which goes back to getting help, which goes back to seeking those things. It's like people don't want to talk about it in church. It's like this forbidden thing. When if you look through the Bible, it's discussed all the time. But I don't understand that. So when we when we've had our conversations and you brought up certain things and you're looking at like, you know, being fiercely feminine, obviously in the church, that's not necessarily something that's going to be looked at well either, because of a lot of the older people and older children. I would argue that like a lot of millennials my age are starting to try to change that perspective um because I remember at a point wearing a hat the church was considered a sin um so talk a little bit about that because I really want people to understand your view because I don't want people to think this is a agree with Julian podcast all the time so what are some of your views on that I mean growing up in the Bible Belt in Oklahoma um especially in like Southern Baptist settings little girls are taught that sex is bad. They are taught that if they have sex before marriage, they're like chewing gum or they're a used car and like who wants used gum or a used car or like, I mean, it is such a negative personification rather than teaching men and little boys to have responsibility. I remember being told things like, you can't wear leggings to church because you might give them lustful thoughts. Okay, so teach them how to control their lustful thoughts. Don't tell me what I have to wear. Like that is their responsibility, not mine. Um, I can look at a man in no clothes and not decide I have to go after him and have lustful thoughts about him. Like, you know, there's men that take their shirt off to work out or do anything. And I'm not losing my mind running around like a crazy person thinking I have to have sex with them. Like, it's just crazy. I think also, and I've talked to a lot of therapists, those that are religious and those that aren't. I mean, when, when you look at a human scientifically, sex is a basic need of human composition. We're an animal, just like any other mammal. We are meant to have sex. Um, I think there's obviously moderation. You don't want to be out here having sex the whole world, or I mean, if you do, whatever, kudos. (laughs) Not judging, but um, (laughs) I think obviously there's, it's important to have things in moderation, Um, but you don't hear anyone condemning men in a church for having sex. Even if, let's say, a religious leader gets in trouble for having an affair, he's not condemned. He's, it's, oh, we need to have grace for him. We need to pray for him. We need to whatever. If a woman gets caught having sex, and especially if she is having an affair or something else, it is a whole other ballgame. It's, how dare you? You're an adulterer or you're a prostitute. You're a slut. You're, you know, all these things. So the biggest thing that I think we need to do is start having conversations you can still teach that you want, you can still teach your children that you want them to wait to get married if that's what you believe in. I, I mean, that's fine. Um, but I think you need to have healthy conversations about what sex is. I think you need to have conversations about like, it's okay if you do do it, like you're not this horrible person. Um, but even if we are talking about marriage, women are taught this whole time that, especially in religion, that sex is taboo. Um, It's not for your pleasure. It's for reproduction. Um, It's not something you're supposed to enjoy, all these things. So then let's say, then all of a sudden they get married 
and they and their husband, she's just supposed to flip that switch and go from thinking sex is bad to sex is good, and I'm supposed to use it to please my husband. So how they expect those women to make that shift is mind-blowing to me. I mean, I know multiple people, especially in Utah that are Mormon, who the night of their wedding night, they couldn't consummate the marriage because all they've heard their whole life is that if they have sex, it's bad. So now that they're married, they're just supposed to change their opinion overnight. Like, I don't think that's feasible or reasonable or healthy. Um, and even in marriages, I think they're taught not to talk about sex. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with a couple talking about something they want to try or something they're interested in or a thought they had, or maybe they want to role play or I don't know, whatever that looks like. But just teaching the thought that like, it's okay to talk about it and you should talk about it. I think that would eliminate so many affairs. I think that would eliminate so many divorces. Um, do you know how many people I know that are high ranking members of their church, their community, who are out there having affairs because they won't just talk to their spouse about that they want to try something new or whatever. Um, when I talked to that group of therapists, they actually told me, they said, there's so much shame and guilt wrapped up in sex and religion that there's more shame and guilt in the idea of talking to your partner about it than there is just going and having an affair. And that's crazy. Like, we should be able to have conversations about sex. It's wild to me. No, I, yeah, I agree 100%. And it's, I'm very different in the fact that I've been on both sides of this spectrum. And I tell people that because when I make my statuses or whatever, some people are like, oh my God, you're judging me. I'm like, how? Like, I was you. Like, I, I promise you I'm not. But <laughs> I was a person that had sex before marriage. I was a person that went celibate for a while and, and met my wife and we waited till we got married. So I've been through both. Trust me, y'all, I get it. But I do agree in the church, it, it is looked bad upon talking about it, having conversation about it as if it doesn't revolve around our world. And I think what happens, and this is one of the things that I'm hoping to help break or have an impact on the two or three people that follow me or whatever, there's a lack of transparency that I can't stand, which is like, first of all, we've constructed the book and the word in ways that are dumb anyway, which is a lot of the old school's mentality that I talk about where like having a beer is looked at frowned upon that there's nothing in the Bible that said you can't do that but that was like I grew up that way or tattoos like I'm like that's my stairway to hell if I get a tattoo all that's starting to change and I don't think that way but like you said it, it you have people who are literally looking all right we're back little technical difficulties got that figured out but I was on as far as like the I guess the things that I grew up thinking were terrible and the tattoos you know being a stairway to hell talking about sex and those things I think one thing that you brought up that I really agree with is the lack of ownership in males mm -hmm. um, even at the gym that I go to there's a girl there who wears like leggings and crop tops and stuff like that and like one of the females went up to the owner and was like I think she's dressing inappropriately and the owner who's a Christian guy, um, different views, obviously, but Christian guy was like, are you concerned that your husband's looking? Because if you are, shouldn't you be concerned with your husband? Right. And the woman just like never responded. He sent it through an email. 
So I agree. Yeah. Like that lack of ownership is kind of crazy to me that yeah. it looked that way because I know for me, like I tell people this all the time, um, my goal in trying to find a girl at the time was way different. So like a lustful eye wasn't really my thing. Yes, I believe in attraction. Yes, I believe you have to see somebody that thinks she's beautiful. But I went and dressing her with my eyes, trying to figure out who she is. Uh, so I agree. Like it, it's crazy to me that there is a lack of ownership for males in that in that aspect. Um, and I didn't even think about it until you said it. As far as when you do have an affair, like the woman is like, oh, she's a slut, home record, da 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 da. da. Um, and then the male kind of gets not a pass, but just like this. We'll pray for you. You're going to get through this. And yeah. most of the times, because it's predominantly a male environment anyway, so they're like, yo, we got you. No <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's interesting that you said that. So what do you think, like, for for a couple who's struggling in that area, is, is your suggesting counseling if they can get to that point? I think counseling is a great step. I also think even if you need like a step before that, um, just having a conversation. And sometimes it's not easy to have face-to-face -face because you are uncomfortable. There is that shame and guilt, but like take the time to like write down things that you want to talk about about sex or things you're curious about, or if you want to try something or an issue you're having with it or whatever that looks like, and maybe write it in like an outline or a letter style or something. And then maybe that bridges the gap to, okay, now let's sit down and have a conversation about it. Um, and I definitely think it has to be in a very open dialogue setting because I feel like both people need to be in a spot where they're receptive to it rather than taking it offensively or it's going to get real ugly real quick. Um, but I do think therapy is a great alternative because that person can then facilitate those conversations. And if it is super uncomfortable, they can kind of help facilitate that or get it going or whatever that looks like. For sure. For sure. Well, thank you for speaking about that. Cause I know that's a, not for you. But for some people, that's a topic that's kind of weird to talk about. So the last thing I wanted to talk about was the social issues that we've been going through here lately. Um, I really enjoy, like, seeing your thoughts and your perspective on that. So as a nation, where do you think, where do you think we go? Because right now we're in a situation with, like, the cartoons and the stuff and people complaining about that and i'm like yo if it's bad it needs to be removed that's how i feel do i care no the last time i watched the looney tunes was never because i hate the looney tunes i think it's whack and half you adults don't watch it either but since it's canceled for a certain reason now you got you're upset it's my childhood card you, you don't watch that and your kids definitely don't unless you make them so what do you think as far as progressing for this country we go when hitting some of these issues? I mean, I think the reason people get in such an uproar is because they're on the polar opposite side of the fence. And a lot of times if you're canceling racist culture, that means you're canceling that person's culture and they take it offensively because it is offensive to them. Um, not that that makes it justified. Like it's not justifiably offensive, but they are like, oh, you're threatening my way of life. And so, again, it's that whole thing of, I think, until, for example, one of the things I see, especially coming from Oklahoma, it's one of the reddest states in the country. Um, education levels really low. There's really bad poverty, drugs, all these things. Something I see all the time is that the people that are so actively voicing 
um, anything against BLM or anything against an improvement in racism, they don't know any black people or maybe they have that one person they know at work that they talk to in the hallway and so they're not racist because they talk to that person. They've never sat at a black person's table. They've never gone to a black person's home. Not even just black person. They've probably never gone to an Asian or Hispanic or anything outside of their little bubble. They hang out with people that look like them, act like them, think like them. So the only way I think we can make any improvement is by putting down some of those boundaries and crossing over. I mean, I think until you actually go and spend time with people and understand what their viewpoint in life is, you're always going to have a defensive stance against it. You can think whatever you want all day long, but like you've never walked in their shoes. You've never even seen where they keep their shoes, you know? Um, I'm a big proponent of like, breaking bread with people. I think it's important to sit down and have a meal and ask conversations and get to know stories and experiences. What I've noticed is that almost any time person to person, you sit down with someone and they have a negative thought on something you're doing, but they don't know the context or the experience. If you sit down and you tell them your story and why you feel that way, most of the time they may not fully agree with you still, but they've opened up their mind and they're more receptive and they see you more human to human than issue to issue. Um, I think the biggest thing is they think it's like a threat against their way of life and it's not. We're just trying to improve the way of life for everyone. Um, that can be in the LGBTQ plus community, that can be when it comes to racism, that can be when it comes to gender equality, there's so many things. It's if we just sat down and had conversations, I think it would be drastically different. Um, I also think Something I'm a big proponent of is that I started my career in broadcast journalism. I know how that field works. It's literally a race to see who can get more views. Um, it's created to be a brand one way or the other. They're either leaning really hard left or really hard right. There's not many that are in the middle. Um, there's a few that are hard facts like AP and Reuters. So for me, something else that I think is really important is diversifying one, the information you're receiving and how you're receiving it. So, for example, if I see a news piece, I'll normally go to AP or Reuters and see, like, what the actual facts around it are. And then a lot of times I'll go read a Fox article and then I'll go read a CNN article because the truth is almost always somewhere in the middle. But that just to be said, I think so many people only get their news or their views from one type of of thing. They don't ever cross over and try to see what the other side is saying. And I think we all need to realize that neither side hard leaning is correct. It's almost always somewhere in the middle. And so when it, if it's religion, if there's a hate group being targeted, like the Jewish community, for example, um, go, go to a Jewish service, go experience something about their culture, go to a festival, go to whatever that looks like. Um, when I moved to Utah, I had some pretty heavy preconceived notions about Mormonism. Um, I went to three sacrament meetings just to see what it was like. Um, a good friend of mine in Utah, her baby had a baby blessing. I went to the baby blessing because I wanted to see what it looked like um, and try to understand it more before I made like this huge judgment on it. I have very strong opinions on it now, even more so. Um, but I think it's important to take the time to learn. Um, if you've never met a person or hung out with a person that's drastically different than you in religion or gender or race, that's the first step. 
like try to get to know them, try to diversify who you hang out with, where you get your information, all of that. I honestly think if everyone did that, we would see massive success in almost every social. I agree. Um, I would even say like, I'm a Christian. Obviously I don't necessarily agree with the homosexual lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Most people understand that. That doesn't mean I don't love you. Right. Which means that I've had gay friends. Mm-hmm. which means that I was perfectly okay with them. And we hung out and we talked. They were part of our friend group. If you said anything to them, I would smash you. That <laughs> type of friendship. But at the end of the day, they know I don't necessarily agree with every part of your lifestyle. But that goes for anybody. I could be friends with somebody who's a porn star. Like, I don't agree with that part of your lifestyle, but I still love you. We're still friends. And I think that's a part of things that a lot of people don't want to accept either. Like, you don't have to have the wholly perfect view from everybody. Like you said, if you're talking, if you're communicating, you can find a medium, you can understand each other and live life. I think a lot of times people don't want to, like, allow that to happen. Um, I would even say I've watched a video where a pastor um, had a black guy and a white guy standing on the opposite of him. And he's in the middle and he's holding a Coke can. He's like, what do you see? It's like Coca-Cola. It's like, what do you see? nutrition facts he was like you both are right but what if i turn the can around mm-hmm. now what he's like well i see coca-cola He was like well i see nutrition facts he's like that's what the world's missing nobody wants to just simply turn and listen to talk to people i've seen so many people on facebook tell me how wrong i was about my views and i'm like how would you know you've never stepped in my shoes you're just automatically telling me i'm wrong well and i yes i completely agree and I think the biggest issue is that challenging your beliefs is uncomfortable. Oh, the worst. Yeah. Having to admit that maybe your belief system is flawed or maybe there's some more truth or maybe there's a different view is really hard to admit. Um, And I think by engaging in conversations or reading material or whatever that looks like of views that are polar opposite of yours it challenges your core beliefs and it makes you take a step back and try to like question whether or not you're right. And I think people are so tied up with being right rather than finding truth and finding harmony. They would rather just say, I'm right and you're wrong than saying, hey, you know what? We're actually probably both right. Um, There's probably elements of this where we're both correct. So I I would agree. I would agree 100% because I would say that here lately i have had to reflect on a relationship with god and religion and what am i doing like what's the difference like where am i at um because at one point like i was so fed up with religion i was so fed up with the fact that like my parents and my grandparents and my people were going to a church where the same pastors and ushers that were, you know, at the church were also the same pastors and ushers that were under those hoods, mm-hmm. terrorizing my people. It's like, how can I be involved in this? And like, think about this, knowing that, but I had to separate the two, but that's a lot of reflecting. Even like, even my mother, like she, for the longest, like would teach me like, you know, almost to be, they, they tell you to be fearful of God, but like fearful, like, don't do that guy, go strike you. Like, you no, know, like, and she was like, I even had to sit back because she was like, I held you back growing up because I scared you. <laughs> like, I scared you with God. She was like, and so you didn't have a way of thinking on your own because it was like, I need to go to mom and ask 
to make sure God's okay because I don't want to fail. And so, yeah, it's it's crazy when you have to go and look back and really reflect on those things because it does make you uncomfortable and it does make you question. And when you start doing that, other people look at you like you're crazy instead of just having the conversation. Right. So, yeah, that, yeah, I agree 100%. So I guess my last thing, because we've, we've been talking for a minute, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, as far as, you know, you're doing your branding, you're doing a community, there's one more thing that I'm seeing. You talked about the supplement company, but there's this thing called Bay to Bay. Yeah. What is that? Um, so actually I have two other big things happening right now. One, I'm writing a book. Um, so that's... Oh, in- I did see that. Look, I'm excited about that. And I'm actually <laughs> proud of you for taking that step because I know that's a big thing for you. So yeah, I'm excited about that. I'm really excited. Um, it's going to be nonfiction going to be titled non-traditional and I'm going to talk about how using kind of getting a lot of the stuff we've talked about how using a chaotic or non-traditional background can actually lead to finding greater success and whatever um and then beta bay is something I'm super excited about so we have started a women's community here in the Tampa Bay area and our goal is for it not to just be networking our goal is to create like a really good community of women. So we want to support local women-owned businesses. We want to support local female entrepreneurs. We want to support female justice issues. We want to, I mean, there's just so many things we want to do. Um, So each week it started off by just a happy hour. So we um, find a local bar restaurant and every Tuesday we have a happy hour, we get together. It's been really cool because our Instagram and stuff has grown really fast. Um, and we've had a ton of people just show up. They're like, hey, I just moved here. I'm looking for friends. And we're like, that's exactly what we're here for. So come on. Um, we've also done some really cool events with local businesses that are female owned. And I think that's important because a big goal of mine is obviously to support other female entrepreneurs, um, female businesses. So it's evolving a lot. Um, we're starting to integrate like a fitness aspect into it. So we're finding local um, female fitness bosses and um, having them lead outdoor yoga or they're leading like an outdoor boot camp style fitness approach or whatever that looks like. Um, so it's building. It's really cool. I'm excited to see where it goes in the future. Yeah, I'm going to have to send my wife down there. Yes, definitely. Uh, but uh, so, and this is all women, single, married, whatever, right? Yep. Moms, not moms, entrepreneurs executives stay at home mom it doesn't really matter we just want all of them for sure so do you ever and I, I i said it was my last thing but i asked do you ever get pushback from women do i oh yeah, yeah. so and, and how do you deal with that because i've saw like it's frustrating for me because obviously with recent times some of the stuff that 45 said that women supported blew my mind number one but um even like in fitness a strong woman, a muscular woman is like talked bad about by other women. And it blows my mind that you can be like, oh, she looks manly and all that. I'm like, you're a woman. Like, so if you're, if you dealt with that, do you just kind of let it go and keep going? Do you combat it head on? Like, what's your approach to that? Cause that could be a learning lesson for somebody. Um, I have had a lot of pushback. Um, When I started, so I have a really large blog and influencer following, obviously. And when I first started that, I didn't. Um, I just moved to Salt Lake City. I had started my blog in Oklahoma, but like 
I didn't really pursue it heavily because I didn't feel like I had the authority to or whatever. It wasn't until I moved to Salt Lake City and got my job with the tech company. The head of human resources, his name is Ben, he had read my blog. And when he was like looking me up and he was like, you know what, like you're intelligent and you're a thought leader and I want you to be able to like spread your voice in multiple ways. And I think it's incredibly impressive that you are. And that was kind of the first bit of feedback I had gotten that like told me I could pursue that. And I think leaving Oklahoma was probably the best thing I ever did because there's a lot of limiting beliefs, especially around females in a place like Oklahoma. And I would hear things like, you need to quit being ambitious, settle down and get married. Like no man's ever going to want you if you're this ambitious and like all these things. Then when I moved there, which is ironic because most of Utah is Mormon, the few people that weren't though that I met were like, this is amazing. You should do this and uh, pursue this and believe yourself and you know, all these things. Um, but one of my best friends at the time, who ironically is therapist, um, I started, I was living by myself. I didn't really know anyone in Salt Lake. So most of the time I was finding like a hiking trail and I was going and I was just trying out a new trail. I was taking my dog, whatever. And I was taking a lot of selfies and posting a lot of pictures. And my girlfriend, when I came home, she was like, uh, you need to stop this or we can't be friends. She's like, you're always on Instagram. You're always on Facebook. You're always posting. You're always liking people's stuff. And I was like, I'm building a brand. Like there's a goal. I know what I'm doing, but she saw it as such a negative thing. And it took me going to therapy to understand that it was probably out of her own insecurity. She saw me get out of that bubble and start trying to pursue something different for myself. And she was threatened by it. And so I think that's what we see with a lot of women is that they're threatened by another woman's success when they shouldn't be, because my success means you could have more success and vice versa. Um, I think I handle it a lot better now. It used to really bother me. Um, I used to probably also get really combative. I try now to do a better job at squishing my ego a little bit um, and trying to figure out like where they're coming from and relating and then trying to at least respond back in somewhat of a loving response. That can be challenging at times. Um, takes a lot of self-control sometimes. I don't always do well. Um, but ultimately I try really hard just not to let it bother me. And we're human. There's days that like people are going to say things that, yeah, it tears me up and I dwell on it. But I think at the end of the day, we just have to like focus on, we know what our intentions are. Other people don't. So like brush it off, keep going. Yeah. I think it's interesting that the women's like main diss or fallback rebuttal is you'll never get a man like that bothers me a lot. Um, because they say it so easily. It's like, oh, you'll never get a man. It's like, oh, you can tell the future. Like, cool. But I don't understand why that's used as like this offensive weapon against women. And it makes me think that the 50s mindset, still there? Oh, there you are. Okay. okay. It, so it, it bothers me, but it makes me think like the 50s mindset ain't just in men. Like that's been embedded in women as well. Um, and hopefully we continue to grow out of it. Like I said, I know for damn sure my kids won't be that way because my wife ain't allowing that and I don't want to either. So uh, hopefully it just takes, you know, building a village. And once we start having babies, you too, once we start having babies and stuff, we can start training them the right way and how to approach these things. Because I think maybe it's because I was raised by women, but independent women, might have a tougher exterior, but if you get 
them and that heart, they'll love you like nobody else can, period. Just got to be tough enough to get through there. So, yeah. but all right, that'll be it for today. I don't want to hold you longer. I know you probably got, you know, million dollar companies to run and do all that, but you got anything else? I don't think so. I shouldn't say thank you. I really enjoyed this. I always enjoy having conversations with you. I feel like they're always productive, even if we butt heads on things, so. Yeah, and we'll, I would hope that we can do this again. Um, I'm sure there's so many more topics and stuff that we can hit. Um, so I'll reach out to you for that and, and figure that out. But again, thank you for joining. For all those watching, we appreciate you. Uh, for all those listening, we appreciate you. I'll have all Bailey's stuff in the description as far as IG, websites, whatever you need. If you guys do want to work with her or see what she does. Um, but for that being said, have a great day.